to the open side. Karim Bete. Up the goal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to a special episode of Pick and Drive Rugby. I'm your host, Ando, and with me is the General Manager of Women's Rugby at Rugby Australia, Jilly Collins. Jilly, how are you? Very well, Ando. Great to be on. I'm looking forward to having a good chat with you. Yeah, very excited. So what does a Thursday look like in the life of the GM of Women's Rugby? Yeah, good question. Well, it starts at, starts at home and there's a tag team between my husband and I on exercising and sorting out Um my son ready for daycare and um, it almost feels like by the time you step into to work, you've achieved a lot already. But um, <laughs> so this uh, today um, was a pretty, pretty regular office day um, at Rugby Australia, had quite a few interesting meetings and um, meeting around scheduling of Wallaroos and Wallabies through to, I think we talked through to 2028, um, wow. had a meeting around some work we're doing with the Japanese Rugby Union. Um, and we're currently um, in the process of recruiting for a women's high performance manager. So I had a meeting about that, shortlisting about that. So, uh, and a few other things thrown in between. I think the highlight would have been my meeting with my boss, regular catch up with my boss, Ben Whittaker, mm-hmm. um, in the in the cafe at the bottom of our office. But we got to sample. They were try, they were testing out new muffin um, oh. flavors. So we got to free test of the muffins. So that was a nice highlight, but fairly, uh, fairly regular Thursday. And and we have to know what what won your approval with the muffins. Like yeah. that's the most important part of what you just said. Yeah, it was it was um, a blueberry muffin. It was one of those ones that make you sound like you're eating something healthy because there's, there's raw sugar as opposed to sugar, but it just tasted like a pretty decent blueberry muffin to us. So got our seal of approval. Brilliant. Well, so it sounds like there's a lot keeping you busy because I was going to ask, what do you actually do in the kind of uh, quiet, maybe quieter periods between the end of the Super W competition and now that the first Wallaroos test has flown by, it's about another month before the next game. What what keeps you busy on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's a great question. And the world I'm in is we are delivering, obviously, Super W23 and you know test matches this year, but a lot of my focus is actually on the years ahead. So you know, we're, we're in train with delivering a, a 2023 season, but our planning is all focused on what Super W next season looks like and, and what our test match schedule is and what our long-term strategy is. So um, it's great, you know, it's, 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 you know, more busy in the times where there is competitions running, et cetera, because you're more hands-on, but pretty much it's a 12 months of the year. Um, there's no real quiet periods in my role, but I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Now, I'm just going to ask, you did mention something about a potential partnership with Japan. Is that something that might be beckoning on a horizon for women's rugby in Australia? Yeah, we, we're always open. And one of the big parts of my role is working with other unions around the world on how we can forge partnerships and relationships to strengthen, in my case, Australian rugby, Australian women's rugby. So the Japanese is a great example. So talking to them about potential teams touring here, about what it might look like around Super W, about overseas players from Japan being placed in competitions, similar to what, you know, mm-hmm. I have convers- conversations with lots of my counterparts around the world in, in, in similar veins. So it really is, I mean, we are a global game, but it really is a, a tight knit network of um, people involved in the game in the women's space that are trying to, you know, evolve and develop the game together, which is, it's great. It feels pretty, you know, collegiate atmosphere, which is, which is good. And we're all on the same path to, to make the game great. 
Wonderful. Well, some people might have picked up on your accent and we found out earlier if you're a Bristolian born and bred. And could you just share some of your background of how you came to be the GM of women's rugby in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, born in Bristol, um, spent 10 years in Cardiff, which as um, if you know about rugby, you know that Wales and Cardiff um, live, breathe and die rugby. So I had an amazing 10 years in Wales. Um, well, at university, so that was always pretty fun, but also <laughs> working for the Welsh Rugby Union. So rewind nearly 20 years now, um, I was in a similar role um, in Welsh rugby um, and then made a move to London, but was still involved in in, in rugby with the RFU. Um, and then back in, I think it was 2015, my now husband persuaded me that um, uh, Australia might be a good a good move and came out here in 2016 and haven't looked back. So my first role actually over here was in rugby league. So I was head Mm -hmm. of venues for the rugby league world cup when it was here in 2017. And then I basically approached rugby Australia because the role I'm in um, that didn't exist. And I pitched it as a role that was needed within the business. And that was five years ago now. So (laughs) um, I think it it was probably a justified role that was needed and and haven't looked back. And um, yeah, there's so much to do in the women's space. It's been a great five years involved in rugby in Australia. I mean, definitely a need, but I just love the confidence that comes from rocking up and pitching that you need me. You need to employ me. I absolutely love that that was something that you saw was a need and were willing to just uh, step into that space. Yeah, I mean, it does sound a bit like, oh, you need me kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds a bit... (laughs) But but it was more actually recognising, and you'll know this, back in twenty. Um, 17, 2018, for example, the Wallaroos didn't really play between Rugby World Cups and the Super W program was just starting first year. And before that, it was a long weekend tournament of a national rugby championship. So it was more seeing that there's so much potential in Australian rugby, particularly around the 15th game. I mean, the 7th game had been firing gangbusters and, you know, the development from winning gold at Rio you already saw that but there was a great opportunity in the 15th space and I think coming from the northern hemisphere having been involved in six nations and you know the the development of those competitions up there I just saw such a great opportunity with such a, a potential of I mean we've got the best playing base in the world it's just an exciting country to be in and just putting the systems and structures in place to to um to see that develop has been great and we have a brilliant decade of rugby ahead of us as well, Don't both we in just. the men's and women's game. So it's incredibly exciting to see the potential for growth. But why don't we move on now to the Super W part of the conversation? And um, I'm really excited to have you on the pod for a number of reasons. But part of it is I've had a lot of questions and we've had a lot of questions about women's rugby and we haven't always known how to get the right answers for them. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that some of those can be um, can be answered or spoken to tonight. But why don't we start with the 2023 edition of the Super W. So for the first time ever, the Waratahs didn't make the grand final, which was ridiculous and an entire travesty for the competition as a Waratahs fan, I have to say. <laughs> um, they were edged out by the Drua. Drua going on to beat the Reds. What are your reflections on the season and what positives are you taking away from it? Yeah, so I can't believe it was already the sixth year of Super W. So uh, my reflections are that it was by far um, the most competitive tournament thus far. I mean, in the utopia in the high performance space and in the world we live in is about what we call tight winning margins. So you want all the games to be competitive. And we definitely saw that more than Mm. ever with all teams being competitive. I mean, Western Force beating the Fijiana Drew, for example, you know, you wouldn't have thought that even a year ago. So it was great to see on field 
um, more teams being more competitive and, and genuinely so many games going to the wire. That, that semi-final day, both mm. of those games, I mean, we were going into it expecting one thing and we were nearly out of it with the complete opposite of, to our expectations. So that's what you want. You want you want to be engaged and you want it to be exciting and entertaining. And I think um, we, we saw that more than ever um, in the 2023 season. But it's probably... Um, more behind the scenes what's happened and what had been developed that I'm I'm most proud of and it's it's still lots more to do but behind the scenes we invested more into the high performance programs of each of the Australian Super W teams to make sure that their preparation was was more effective we we put in funding in a minimum funding from Rugby Australia directly so that we knew every player would get a minimum payment of four thousand dollars um, we put in support around childcare so those players that are parents had um, some childcare support to help with that so there was lots of things behind the scenes that we did and what was great about that was we asked the players directly last year like what what should we do what what how does it need to develop not just talking money but actually wider as a competition what does it holistically look like and to deliver on some of those and Mm. we had our review meeting with our player group so we have a player rep group that we speak with on a regular basis so getting the feedback at the end of the season to hear some of those positives coming through and and um the positive impact they'd made was was great and then i mean it was also things like having two games in fiji was cool right just a nice point of difference Mm -hmm. um playing the the final up in townsville um was was pretty unique as well so yeah there's lots of positives kept come away from 23 knowing that it's a step up again and you know we're not at the top of the staircase by any means but it was a, a good step forward so then looking at that, what are the areas for growth and improvement? Because you were able to deliver on some of the areas that you were hoping to. So some level of payment for players, some opportunities for support for things like childcare and the high performance investment that you mentioned. What areas are you looking to continue to improve in for 2024? Yeah, so without, I guess, going into, because I could probably talk to you about it for a couple of days, but sort of <laughs> a, a, a brief version. So we continually look at what Super W looks like and the development of the competition but when we do so we don't just look at what the competition schedule looks like it's kind of a an easy jump to go okay we need a longer competition which is part of the conversation but we look at the development of super w across five key areas um and one is the high performance environment so the daily training environments that those players are in with each of the super clubs and how can we make those better? So what facilities they have access to, what staffing they have access to, medical support, um, analysis, you know, everything you can think of, performance, lifestyle, wealth, well-being, actually what is behind the scenes that is, is the determining factor that's going to make those teams and those players great and how we can invest into that. So that's one area we look at developing. Um, player contracting, remuneration is an important part of the game and we want to to continue progressing that. So that's an area that we look at and, and, and get advice on. We then, the competition schedule. So we know at the moment, um, the extension of the competition this year to have um, two semi-final system, I thought was a great um, small progression. It didn't actually help your Waratahs because <laughs> if it had been the previous comp, they'd have gone straight to the final. But um, we need to look at what expansion models look like and, and um, build those into our planning for future years. Then importantly, what's the business model around it? So, you know, we, we invest in millions more than we have done even from the previous season into the competition and into our high performance women's program. But how do we generate more revenue and, and how do we market the game? How do we, what's the 
fan experience around match days. What is um, what does it look like from a broadcast perspective? What does viewership look like? You know, what, who are our commercial partners that can help drive that? All of that is really, really important to yeah. underpin and make make Super W what we want it to be as the you know the best competition in the southern hemisphere. So there, and then. I guess the final area that, that underpins it all is actually what does it look like from a community perspective? What are mm. the pathways leading into Super W? What 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 does a Super W youth competition look like? What does rep- representative opportunities look like at an under 14s, under 16s, under 18s? So that we know that by the time a player is selected into a Super W team, they already have had years of experience and and a really high quality player with great rugby IQ and the skills and and the physical development needed so it's all we can't ignore any of that um and there there is progress we need to make across all of those areas so that's a a short long answer (laughs) no but I like it because it identifies kind of the wide scope of how you're trying to view things because a lot of the conversations that um we as just fans of rugby talk about is kind of from what we can have direct access and vision of, which will be things like length length of the competition, um, whenever information about pay or remuneration is reported or the match day experience. So we don't often get a little bit of insight into those broader areas. So that's great. Now, one of the areas that you mentioned was kind of like a vision of what you want for Super Rugby moving forward for it to be the premier women's rugby competition uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, I think is what you said. So could you just outline kind of from either your perspective or Rugby Australia's perspective, what is the the vision for women's rugby in Australia moving forward? Yeah, so we were, the, the timing of that's been great. So, so last year we were approached, take a step back, by World Rugby to come on board with them and be the first union to work on a project of theirs called Project Accelerate, yeah, which looks yeah, at reading about that. Um, yeah. which looks at what the development of women's rugby looks like and how we accelerate that development of the game. Um, and they approached us, uh, having secured the rights to the twenty nine Rugby World Cup, and, and knowing that what we were trying to do and our ambitions in the game, we were first cab off the rank to work with them. So what we did, we, we sat down and it was a great process. Like sort of the great and the good from World Rugby came in with all of our stakeholders. And we sat down and said, what does what do we need to do in the women's game in Australia in this golden decade of rugby? So um, we looked at that. And, and from that, we developed a, a women's plan, um, which is on a one page, explains what the transformational initiatives we want to do in the women's game and, um, that is soon to be published. It's been slightly delayed in that we're just waiting to publish our Rugby Australia overall strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and why that's important, we do not want a women's plan sitting outside a Rugby Australia strategy. It's one and the same thing. Absolutely front and central to all the conversations we're having with rug- in the Rugby Australia strategy is about women's and girls rugby as well. So the women's plan is basically a communication tool that we can talk to that sits alongside our rugby Australia strategy. So um, our ambitions for the for the game are you know, consistently top four rankings for the Wallaroos and you know getting a semi final in Rugby World Cup 25 and being on home soil in a home final in 29. Mm. Um, for our sevens team that we haven't touched on, but a hugely important part of our women's game in Australia, maintaining the success of the sevens team. Um, you know we want to be back on that gold medal. You know, gold medals around our neck in, um, well, next year now. So, and the, you know, how exciting our sevens team is, it yep. blows my mind. So, you know, there's, there's maintaining success, which is easier said than done. You know, a saying about 
Super W being the best competition in the uh, Southern Hemisphere, but also growing the game, growing our volunteer base, you know, everything that, that sits and underpins that. that in, to be honest, in most sports development rugby plans, you know, there's, it generally falls under um, those key areas and then underpinning it, making the business case and the business model that makes it all work and makes me, you know, able to um, implement what we need to because the world we live in costs, you know, things cost yeah. a lot of money. Everything we do costs a lot of money. You talk about sort of, you know, extending competitions, you know, you're, you're, you're talking millions more. So, you know, there's, there's a business case that needs to be answered for it all as well. Yeah. So one of the questions I had when preparing and researching and kind of looking into this area was that idea of the women's rugby plan. Um, and you spoke about it just then and mentioned how it's going to be integrated as part of RA's overall strategy. Do we have a time frame, even if it's a general time frame, on when we're expecting to see that information and get an idea of what the roadmap is moving forward? Yeah, sure. I'd say, broadly speaking, within the next few months, it, it's tied mm-hmm. into as well, which is well publicised, the conversations we're having around private equity and the capital yep. raised into the game. Yep. So there's there's a few pieces of the jigsaw that need to be fitted together in order to you know, publicise and, yep. and, and go out with that. So um, it's all it's all there. And, you know, we're there's a genuine, genuine excitement about what's to come in the next 10 years in Australian rugby. And we just need to make sure that we're articulating that well and selling that well, mm-hmm. not only to, you know, our stakeholders, but to fans and to the playing base coming through, because we need to sell them on the dream as well, right? We need to yep. capture capture young young players, young girls, young boys into that, you know, into in, being rugby, rugby fans and rugby players from the off. You mentioned earlier the recruitment of a women's high performance manager who's going to oversee, I think it's the 15s and the 7s program. Is that correct from a high performance perspective or just um, the 15s? Yeah, it's, it's, um, we have, um, Scott Bowen and Lachlan Parkinson who, um, are, are high performance managers in our 7s space. If you take mm-hmm. the, the, the top of the pathway, this role, um, will look after the Wallaroos programming side of things, but a key remit of their role is looking after the Super W, not from a competition perspective, but when I talked earlier about those high-performance environments, yep. Yep. actually making sure that we have across Australia five brilliant high-performance training environments for our best players to um, deliver and produce you know, gr- great talent. And that's not just that's not just in the 15s game, I should say. That's a comprehensive program that, you know, we are developing our best rugby players full stop. Some of them may play seven, some may play 15, some of them may play both. And that's, I think, a really exciting opportunity. Yeah, definitely. So that position has not yet been filled. It's in a process of kind of shortlisting recruits. Yeah, I think like we're that. interviewing at the beginning of June. So very intimately Ooh. recruiting, yeah. Very exciting. So once that uh, position has been filled, um, was that the kind of primary involvement that the Accelerate program from World Rugby had to assist with the implementation of that? Or are there other areas of support that World Rugby will be providing through that program? Yeah, so that was that's a role that they're helping to part fund, which is fantastic. They've also put investment towards um, Wallaroo's programs um, and um, our Super W high performance training environment so that they, they're a partner in that space as well, which is fantastic. And then wider to that around our seven space, they provide um, funding in to, to help drive that sevens program. So World Rugby are a really key partner for us. And 
we're pretty fortunate that Nikki Ponsford, who I've known for for a long time, she headed up the RFU women's high performance arm in England, but she's now working for World Rugby and she lives in Melbourne. So oh, lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very, very advantageous to have Nikki on the ground in Australia. And um, our partnership with World Rugby is great. And um, on the, the rugby side of things, it's making great progress. And encouragingly as well, Project Accelerate wasn't just about the rugby um, in the, we're speaking to them soon about potentially joint funding a, a marketing role for the women's game in, in Australia and, and looking at the bigger picture around that business model of how we drive interest and engagement in the women's game. So it really was a holistic look at how we're developing the game and the expertise was beyond, I guess, rugby into marketing and commercial areas as well. Yeah, love it. That sounds great. All right. Why don't we shift tact into payment and salaries, a topic that I'm sure is very, very fun for you. So um, just for the benefit of the listeners, there are these figures you probably already know, but there will be between around 35 national contracts, Walrus players who compete in Super W. The payments will range between $35,000 to $52,000 per year. So that's for the Walrus. And that hasn't yet been put in place is that correct is that going to be starting from next year or is it no, that's in that's in train so um oh, we cool. have yeah we have contracted wallaroos now that um are as in you described in those tiers one to three we also yep. have um our seven players about i can't remember the exact number but i'm going to take a stab about 18 sevens players that are full-time i mean our sevens program has been running for 10 mm. years full-time so but big progress in in the in the Wallaroos and 15 space. So as I mentioned earlier, there's minimum payments um, in the Super W space, and all Super W cl- uh, clubs contribute on top of that, which is great. And then we centrally contract. I think we're at about 35 at the moment on those three tiers. Brilliant. So um, context for this is one of my favourite players in women's rugby for the last couple of years has been Grace Kemp. Absolutely love her. With your British background, you'll know this, but I kind of thought of her as like the Australian rugby's Boudicca equivalent, just kind of like redheaded warrior charging into battle. Absolutely loved it. Um, She unfortunately for us in rugby union circles has taken up an opportunity with the Canberra Raiders and the rumour or the information going around is just the money was too good to be able to turn back. Um, So when... Wages for players in NRLW who aren't even national players are at a minimum of 34000 for 2024, and that's increasing up to 50000 by 2027. What are the plans for the future to try and widen that pool of full-time contracted players? Because I'm just concerned from my outsider's perspective that some of our best and brightest are going to take that understandable opportunity to get paid more for the work that they're putting in in rugby league yeah and i think there's um, a realism to the money that is in rugby league versus the money that's Mm, in in rugby union i think their current broadcast deals 10 times the amount ours is so you know it it is a different world and for me the focus is on selling that opportunity to our players that remuneration and the remuneration is much improved improved right and it will continue to improve so we're not talking about comparing doing something for free versus getting paid it will you know it will genuinely be um well-paid opportunities as well but it's selling everything else around that right so it's about international experience world cups in the seven space commonwealth games olympic games um and i think the the, the global game and global nature of rugby um is an is a huge selling point and then what we need to make sure we link to that is a really great 
Super W competition that is attractive in the domestic space? Because we know in Australia, you know, domestic competitions are are very important, and we want to make sure that you know Super W is is an attractive domestic competition, attracting you know best players in Australia, but also overseas players as well. So um, it's a challenge. It absolutely is a challenge because of the the the, the money and the the um, you know the they're pretty pretty aggressive in some of their strategies around getting mm. players. Um, but we just need to make sure that we are selling our game as best we can and focus on our what what are our key selling points. And um, you know, we will lose an odd player here or there, but we absolutely hope that we can retain, you know, a, a key group that will take us through to a home World Cup in twenty nine. Have you already got Players like M. Chancellor, Arabella McKenzie, Michaela Leonard, Laurie Kramer, just kind of on speed dial. Be like, come on, sell rugby, sell the European opportunity, sell the opportunity to see the world with your friends. Uh, is, that, is that a mark, part of the marketing strategy here? Yeah, absolutely. And and we know from a comms perspective, we need to do more in that space and we absolutely want to. But yeah, I tell you what, though, with those players coming back after being at lined up for selection for Pacific Four Series. I wouldn't like to be Drake, Jake Tregoning naming it. the next squad. It's going to be pretty competitive. But, yeah, um, yeah they've, they've had a lot of fun by all accounts and um, been playing some really good rugby, albeit cold rugby in, in the UK. Toughen them up, toughen them up. Yeah. Uh, their Instagram uh, stories have been a lot of fun to follow over the last <laughs> few months. Okay, so why don't we shift now to the match day experience. Um, just again, for the benefit of the listeners, I'm going to give a little bit of context to the question. So apologies if this goes on just maybe a minute as I explain things. Um, so for me, um, Julie, I have a seven-year-old boy and I've got a three-year-old boy. And I've been trying to sell rugby to my seven-year-old. He prefers dragons and Harry Potter, um, but I've been trying to get him into rugby. And so he has been happy enough to come out to Waratah's games. And I've particularly been taking him to the women's Waratah's games because the timing is really good. So we went out to three games at Concord Oval this season. It was awesome. And he very much appreciated the fizzy drinks and the lollies that he got for the whole time whilst he was there. But at the Super W semi-final, I had a pretty interesting experience. I'd love to kind of share with you and then just get some thoughts and insights on what's going to happen with the match day experience. So um, when I got there, ticket sales could only be done via credit cards. And luckily enough, I had my wallet there because I'm part of the generation just uses PayPass now on their phones. Um, No ATMs, no anything like that. You had to pay with a credit card. Uh, there was no music. There wasn't a ground announcer, no food vendors apart from like the canteen at the rugby club. Um, no rugby activities for kids, no flags being handed out, no merchandise on sale. Would have very happily got New South Wales Waratahs women's scarf or something like that for my boy. The Drua weren't even announced before they ran on, ran out onto the field. And it kind of seemed like there wasn't very much, um, investment from a match day experience perspective, particularly for people with younger kids there. My son literally started running up and down the hill on the left hand side of the stadium and getting me to time him running up and down the hill as his entertainment because he can't focus for that long for a rugby game. So, um, from a broader question, who is it that puts together the match day experiences? Is it RA, the venue, the home Super W team? And what are the plans to improve the match day experience for fans moving forward to make the product more engaging and entertaining? Yeah, sure. So um, listening into who's responsible, it depends on the game. So regular season, regular rounds, it's the home team. So um, um, in and then when we go into final series, so the semi-finals were that they were Rugby Australia's delivered games, and then the final, depending on again whether it's a standalone. But the example in Townsville, we worked in partnership with the Reds on that because it was a 
part of the Super Rugby Pacific. So, um, yeah, really good to hear your feedback. I, I, I'd say that we know we need to improve in areas such as that match day experience, and we certainly want to build on areas like that to make sure that it is um, not just about the rugby, as, as increasingly live experiences need to be. So it is, you know, what what's happening in the precinct, what's the food and beverage offering, you know, face painting DJs, and, and that is all absolutely areas we want to build on it's a question of resourcing and, and mm. budget for it so you know, as i said earlier we've invested a significant amount more in in the competition and it's a, it's a it's a pretty small team at rugby australia that that delivers across lots of areas and um we we know we want to focus more and we know we want to um make those standalone rugby australia games better and so hearing that feedback is, is great you know great feedback for us that we'll absolutely take on board but we have aspirations for it to be a great fan experience and you know the rugby on the field is absolutely that that day and it's yep. a, it's a nice yep. venue but we know we we need we need to do more and can do more in that event experience space I'll just paint you a picture. I'm thinking jumping castles and stuff like that on a far side with multiple food trucks and vendors and stuff like that and somewhere where you can get hot chips I could not buy hot chips at the Super W semi-final. So, yeah, that's, a, that's a definite fail on our part if oh, there weren't hot chips there. That was a travesty. But anyway, <laughs> we move on. We we grow and mature anyway. Um, so what we might do is then shift across to the Wallaroos before we get to kind of some of the fan questions that have come in for you. Sure. I would say that it's a shame we can't see both of us because we're both kitting Wallaroos outfits on. So, uh, <laughs> this is true. It's, uh, good, to see, good to see wearing Wallaroos kit. Yeah, I bought this at the um at the Walrus game last week. Absolutely oh, loved it. Walked straight into the kit shop at Allianz Stadium and picked it up. I was very, very excited. It's the indigenous one from us. Yeah, time. it's very cool. Good on you. Love it. Okay, so um we've had probably the most famous or one of the most famous um women's rugby players of the recent era just retire, Shannon Parry. Can you just reflect on her career, what she's brought to the game and the legacy that she leaves from your perspective? Yeah, Shano, it was a pretty emotional day on Saturday, hey? The, um, mm. I don't think there was a dry eye in the circle that happened afterwards to present her with a gift and um, got carried on the shoulders on shoulders of our two second rowers off the field. It was a, a trip, a, a fitting tribute to an amazing player. Came on the scene, I think her first Wallaroo cap was in 2010 against Wales at the Rugby yep. World Cup in, in England. And fast forward 13 years, not only... I think she retires with 26 Wallaroos caps, four Rugby World Cups in the 15 space, but two in the seven space, an Olympic gold medal, you know, home games, success. Um, so an incredible, incredible rugby player. And, you know, you kind of talk to your kids about role models, you know, mm. absolutely she stands up as somebody who, you know, was never the quickest or strongest, but her work ethic, her... Um, determination to always succeed and keep learning and developing and being the best she very can where it could be uh, absolutely phenomenal over her career so she's a she's, she's a big loss from a playing perspective and it's certainly the end of a chapter that was a bestseller like an amazing you know career thus far but she's already in our coaching system we absolutely have you know aspirations and she has aspirations beyond her playing days so I think for us, it's, you know, working with her and giving her the support and development opportunities in that coaching space now. And, yeah, there's great things ahead for Shano. And you'll certainly be seeing her in around the Wallaroos and the Sevens for years to come with a different hat on. 
Very exciting. I hope she keeps the same like scrum cap though. We're so used to seeing her in that scrum <laughs> yeah, cap. Yeah, like the first ever coach in a coaching box. When you hand <laughs> for the coach, she's wearing a gold scrum. I'll tell her that. I'll let her know. That'd be great. Just kind of like um, Laurie Fisher's bucket hat. Yeah, bucket hat equivalent. Shannon Parry golden headgear. Probably a bit less comfortable, but hey, I'm sure she'll go for it. <laughs> All right. So Jay Tridgoning has resigned or re-signed, I should say re-signed for 2023. And uh, he's actually taking on more hours within a role because I know we were chatting in an interview we did. He's a teacher as well. And he's having to kind of step back from that slightly for this. What, from your perspective, has Jay brought to the team? Why was he offered that extension? And how come there's a high performance manager that's going to be full-time before the national coach is full-time? Yeah, lots of questions. Um, Jay, first and foremost, Jay's a great man. Um, and it was an easy decision to transition him across into the 23 season and was delighted that he accepted that. He's been a great um, influence and impact on the team, um, along with, I think we're at, there's, there's a team of 16 in the Wallaroo staff now um, um, that work with Jay. So he's, he's great and um, done a great job so far. Um, the, the head coach role actually is part of our development becomes a full-time role from next year, okay. um, which is, which is good news. Our head of athletic performance is, is a full-time role already. And it was actually prioritized to get that role full-time so that that, um, that individual can work day in, day out with the playing group, both when they're in their States and nationally. So um, it's just a timing question. So that role will be full-time soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's a, He's an absolute pleasure to work with and, and a great guy. I'm sure you had a good chat with him on the podcast. Yeah, it was great. And we caught up with him at one of the um, Concord Oval games as well, which was lovely. Oh, yeah. It was good to my boy. So he's good. he's a great guy in my books. Then. Yeah, um, no. World 15 update. So little information is kind of publicly available about what that's kind of going to look like in October. I mean, there's just the original announcement. I think there was an update early in early in May. Um, but not a huge amount going on. So for those um, listeners who aren't too aware of what this World 15 competition is, do you mind just quickly summarising and giving an elevator pitch of what the World 15 comp is? Yeah, for sure. And it's something that I've been discussions behind the scenes for years. So the fact that it's actually happening this season, I'm very hey, excited well about but Yeah, but um, what it is basically... World Rugby wanted to bring together a global competition every year outside of Rugby World Cup years to bring together the top teams in the world globally. And that's 18 teams across three different competitions. So World Rugby wanted to make sure that, that not it wasn't just six nations playing regular rugby, that the top genuine top teams in the world um, were playing really good competitive rugby every single year. So there's a WXV1, a WXV2 and a WXV3. WXV1 this year is in New Zealand. Um, and it will feature the top three from the Women's Six Nations this year, which we already know are England, France and the Welsh. The Welsh snuck in. They had a great season this year. Yep. Um, and the other three teams will be the top three from the Pacific Four Series, which is what we're about to embark on next um, month. So we are aiming for that top three spot. So that's between us, New Zealand, USA and Canada. So mm-hmm. it will be a three it will be a three match tournament. So basically you play your crossover games so if we're in WXV1, we play England, France and Wales. And then the fourth team of the Pacific Four Series plays in WXV2, which is in South Africa this year. Um, and it's made up of a couple more teams from Europe, top Asian qualifier, the top Oceania qualifier, um, 
and I can't remember who else, but it basically works out that the next six best in the world will play each other again on a crossover format. And then there's a third tier as well, um, again, made up with the next um, tier of teams. So that's basically going to happen every year um, when there isn't a World Cup year. And what's really important about that is that all the teams have to qualify into it as well. So you're guaranteeing, if you're playing in that, the top 20 in the world now, you'll be guaranteeing at least six test matches a year, which is a huge um, step forward. And um, it's a lot of investment from world rugby because that's all being funded. Funded, So, you know, your travel costs, landed costs, the competition itself is being delivered by world rugby. So a huge investment wow. by then. Um, and the publicity will ramp up in the next few months. Yep. I think they're just finalizing the paperwork behind the scenes with each of the, the host unions. And then you'll see that ramping up. The branding came out the other day as well, which was pretty cool. It looked, it's sort of branding where I think, oh my God, I'm getting old because that branding's way too trendy. But um, that came out, <laughs> that came out the other day. So really excited and going into the Pacific Four series, it just makes it even more meaningful that we absolutely need to get into that WXV1 because mm-hmm. if we're going to be the best in the world, we need to play the best in the world. It'll be a tough ask, won't it? Because we all know how good Canada and New Zealand were, obviously, at the recent World Cup. I think, yeah. Pushing in against America will be kind of the one that we're trying to fight realistically. Like, proud Australian here, don't get me wrong, wearing a jersey. But I think we'll be pushing America for that third spot. Um, yeah, I'd probably say that's a, that's a fair assessment, unless um, we can um, dethrone the Black Ferns their first game after winning the Rugby World Cup. But that's certainly, Ooh, I mean, it's, 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 on Australia, it's on Australian soil up at um, KO Stadium in Morton Bay. So, you know, you, you, you never know. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, we play up there and then we go over and play Canada and USA in Ottawa. So mm. it'll be a good trip up. First time we've been to Canada as the Wallaroo since the Rugby World Cup in 2006. So long time wow. between drinks. Wow. Well, I think that a big part of that. Oh, so one question I'll quickly ask, actually. Um, promotion relegation is on hold for the first year. Is that correct? Yeah, that mainly affects tiers two and three so we always know that we'll either be in tier one if each year if we qualify um top three pacific four series or tier two if we qualify uh in the fourth place so then then there's an interchange between that oh right so we will always be in tier one or tier two yes oh great okay cool i didn't know if the qualification process was just for the first year to get the teams and then it's kind of promotion relegation after that yeah it, it um, does kick in it does kick in it, it it um i'd have to look back over the details but certainly we know for the first couple of years we're we're uh, up in that one or two and hopefully in the one brilliant so that will provide i guess that consistency of games because um I, i've got shannon perry's kind of bio up on on my other screen and one of the things that you mentioned was the 26 games roughly um wikipedia says 24 but i'll trust you more than wikipedia um games across her career but she's had a 13 year career and for her to have only played 26 games averages out obviously to two games per year now some of that's sure been playing with the sevens and not for the Wallaroos. Um, but it just shows how limited the opportunities have been over the last, say, decade for women to play for Australia. And so for this opportunity to be coming, I mean, it must just mean so much to the players to have more opportunities to represent Australia. Absolutely. And it's one of the things immediate in my role I called out as this is bullshit, guys. We we need to be playing more rugby. And so we know from this year and 
COVID threw a spanner in the mm. works. We were supposed to pay way more tests and I won't go into sort of all the COVID regurgitation of that. But we know moving forward from this year, the minimum amount of test matches will play. Each year is eight test matches, the minimum each year. Yeah. And, awesome. and, and, and more. So, you know, I will be the happiest person in the world the day a Wallaroo hits 50 caps, which will be in the next few years. Yep. Um, and that's exactly how it should be. I mean, we're, we've played, the Wallaroos have played 67 tests um, in our entire history. Sarah Hunter, English player, I think retired this year on 138 games yep. as one person. So um, what I can't do is, you know, go back and change the past, but I certainly moving forward, I know that, you know, we'll be playing regular rugby from here on in, which is what we want. Well, on that aspirational note, let's move into our locker room questions. Um, some of these we have already touched on, so I might just kind of read them, but then we'll move on. So first question coming from Hugh96. Super W players and teams have improved significantly as the competition progressed this year. When do you think Super W will become a home and away competition? So I'll pause and then let's start with that. Uh, good question, Hugh. Um, mentioned earlier around our phase approach, I wouldn't want to put a exact date on it, but it's certainly something we're looking at that expansion model. And that expansion model looks at potential home and away options, additional teams in our competition and crossover with Super Rugby are picky as well. So they're all very live conversations um, at the moment with with. Um, all the stakeholders around the room, but we absolutely have aspirations to extend the competition um, and that will happen. What the thing we always need to remember though, is we need to fit in our international calendar around that as well. So we Mm. need, we have a regulation nine window. I won't bore listeners with reg nines, et cetera, but if you sort of into into the game, you'd know what that means. We need to make sure that we need to play the Pacific four series in, in the reg nine window, which finishes mid June. So there are, we're constrained of how, our domestic competition interplays with 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 international rugby, so we'll always that will always be a limiting factor on the length of the season. But we've certainly got room in our calendar to expand the comp. It sounded like um, some conversation happening earlier in the year that the Super Rugby Alpiki partnership might actually be a little bit uh, closer to being realised than some of the other points. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and we're having good discussions. I think that something will be in place by next year in that right. space. Yeah. That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, Adam Deutsch, what is the likelihood of Super W and NRLW coming to arrangements around players playing in both competitions and supporting them accordingly to do so? Yeah, so if you're not a Wallaroos national contracted player, um, so if you've got if you've had a Super W competition uh, contract this year, that finishes when Super W finishes and you'll have seen if you take a look at an RLW listings, there's a few players that are crossing over into that competition as well. So um, we don't restrict that between the two competitions. Where we do restrict it is you can't be a national uh, contracted player with us and play NRLW because you physically can't because you'd need two of you to be able to play both. So uh, <laughs> they, they clash with each other. So um, what's important for us, though, is that we want our players that aren't necessarily at the very top of the game but are competitive in Super W we also want to make sure that you know they're they're supporting the community clubs around the country as well because they're often the key pl- players within those club teams that attract mm. you know young young women into those teams and and bring through through the next generation so there's always a balance that I mean technically and some players are playing both yep um, Craig or at Balumba asks, what does Super W look like in five years? I mean, we've already spoken about this a bit, but if you were just to kind of like one or two sentence summary, what does Super W look like in five years? So an extended competition um, that is 
um, is tracks best talent um, within Australia and a spattering of great talent from overseas and with it being as competitive as possible, great live experiences and a, a high-end broadcast product that is watched by Australians and rugby fans worldwide. How about that? That sounds brilliant. I'd be very keen to sign up for that deal. <laughs> all right, Hugh Tyndall, we've actually asked, answered these questions already. So I'm just going to say, Hugh, we love you. Thanks for all that you do, but we've actually answered all these already. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Hugh. Um, Gold Digger, how many professional 15, uh, how many professional female 15s players can rugby, Australian rugby afford? And how does this impact the strategy moving forward? So I guess we can afford 35 currently, but will that be shifting moving forward? Um, it's, it- sort of chicken and egg isn't it it's you in order to be professional you need competition structures and high performance environments and daily training environments that you train in so um we need to build the system and then provide those opportunities accordingly to the players so do we get to a point if you're a super w player that you are full-time professional 12 months of the year question mark certainly in that wallaroo space yes but as you know you know there's only what there's only certain places in a national team so um you know, at the moment, 35 of our contracted Wallaroos, and then we have 20 contracted Sevens players. And that, that's where we are. We want to make sure that we're supporting that 35 as much as possible, which includes incre- increasing remuneration to that group as well. So you're not hugely far off a number for, for a while around that full-time professional space. And just confirming, it's a thing that just popped up as you were talking. The players such as your Arabella McKenzie's, Mikhail Leonard, they're not a part of that central contracting group, are they? Not even on any of the tiers or are they? Yeah, no, they are. Yeah. So we, we were in a space where things are moving so quickly and they wanted to sign overseas and we couldn't provide those assurances at the point they needed to sign of what our contracting system looked like. So mm-hmm. um, we negotiated with them. So they're all... They're all in our tier system. Um, oh, because, great. Okay. Yeah. So they're all, they all are contracted to us. And um, part of the negotiation was that was allowing them to obviously see out the competitions up in, up yep. in England first. Yep. Um, with that tier system, is there ever any intention of making that public information or because of the kind of privacy around people's earnings, you wouldn't? Um, yeah, I don't think so. No. Um, yeah, okay. It moves quite a lot and there's players that come into it and, you know, I'd I'd say we, you know, I think they'll always be a bit like in the men's game, figures floating about (laughs) with numbers, but um, no, we, uh, we're happy to keep it as a group of, group of players that are supported. And in a broader question, are we, will there, would there ever be a list of who is within that contracted group? Or again, would that just be something because of the player movement in and out that it might not be something published? Um, no, we would. I mean, we do in that in the Wallaby space, and we we've off, we often we previously announced what we used to call the pony groups, which is the yeah, players yeah. of national interest. We've re- renamed that to Wallaroos and Wallabies managed player groups. So yeah, they're they're squads that aren't you know not not publicly available, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I prefer pony, but maybe that's just me. Um, super. Yeah, rob- well, you, you wouldn't be surprised. It's often defaulted still to pony because it was such an easy thing to say. It's a bit of <laughs> exactly. less of a mouthful. <laughs> exactly. All right. Final question from Super Rebels Rugby. I watch a lot of rugby. My four-year-old girl loves it. My eleven-year-old not so much. I watch all the Super W matches. How do you reckon you can get girls engaged with watching and playing rugby? Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, it's a good one to finish on as well. I think. It is a good one to finish on, and I, and I think they. There, there's a cohort of, you know, we want as many girls playing 
the sport as possible. So there's that that aspect to it. But we also know that there's lots of people that don't play rugby that can be fans of rugby as well. So the world we live in today, making our players real life heroes and making them be able to connect to fans and, and making sure we're telling those stories of the players. We we well know, you know, young people like to go on Instagram accounts and follow individuals as well as, you know, probably even more so than teams these days. So we need to make sure we're doing a, a good job and raising the profile of our, our best players to engage with that with that young group and then making sure a bit like your example at Concord, you know, being better in that live experience so they go and have the best day ever out live watching a game and that doesn't necessarily mean you know it's a $200 high-end experience it's actually they're close to the action they're close to the players they get to meet a player afterwards they get a freebie you know it's simple stuff that's executed well is how Mm -hmm. you engage those young young players and we need to engage them at that age because we get them for life then right we need we need young people around Australia to be talking about rugby and and talking about what they're watching super w or super rugby Pacific on TV and the Wallabies and the Wallaroos and the Sevens, you know, those are the conversations we need to hear in classrooms and playgrounds. So, you know, it needs to start at that, that young age. And that is about engaging in, in live venue and also making sure that the TV offering is great as well. Completely agreed. Well, on that positive note, Jilly, thank you so much for your time. It has been absolutely wonderful having you on the pod and asking, well, answering some questions that uh, I think have provided a lot of insight and hope for the future or celebration of where things are at now, but also hope for the future too. So thank you. My absolute pleasure, Ando. It's been great. Awesome. All the best. Bye. Bye.